0: It's good to be with you again on this uh, last day of my time with you for first, our Second Thessalonians. We're going to look at Chapter 3 and kind of wrap up the time that we've spent together over these last three Mondays. So it's been a privilege to be with you. Those who I don't know, I'm Mike Gibson, lead pastor at Christ in Costa Mesa, and uh, Mrs. Jessup's part of our family, and Chris Peterson, who'll lead music uh, later, is part of our... Oh, that's not a good thing. Chris, who's going to lead worship and pick up my Bible for me. Thank you, buddy. Second Thessalonians is where we're at. Would you join me in prayer? I think I need it. God, thanks for this time and your word. We thank you for your word and your faithfulness and how you speak into our hearts and our lives. Thank you for the things and the examples that we've seen in this little book of Scripture, these three chapters, Um, about a young church trying to understand the nature of its community and even its paganism and in doing so to have a, a faith and a trust in Jesus Christ above everything else. God, as we look at this application of a specific issue that they're struggling with, Lord, we pray that you would help us today as church, as the people of God, understand what your call is on our own lives about the management of all that we are for your plan and for your purposes Thank you for your spirit who teaches us and we thank you for uh, just this time to grab in this beautiful uh, mid-November morning to be in the word of God and uh, Lord, we just look forward to the things you're going to put into our hearts and minds as a result of what you do. Your word is powerful and we receive that in Jesus' name, amen. Where have we been? Well, we started a couple of weeks ago and we looked at chapter 1 and did some of the background on Second Thessalonians. And what we talked about was the empowering reality of what it means to be a church that's standing firm in the face of significant persecution. The Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is trying to help them understand that the things that they're going through, the struggles that they have... Are not because God's against them, but rather they can see God's hand, the blessing that's in their lives, even as they stand firm against the opposition of their faith. One of the things we looked at last week was a reminder of what was called the Cabrias cult. It was a local cult in Thessalonica. It was a cult that believed. That uh, there was uh, this guy, this God that uh, was put to death wrongly by his brothers, but that he was going to come again, and he was going to judge the wicked, and he was going to bring uh, blessing and, and care for the righteous. And the belief was that they had gotten some of their understanding of the second coming of Jesus confused because of the Cabrious cult and what they believed and what they had grown up in as people in that community Uh, was offering them an alternative that probably got the second coming of Jesus all thrown up into a confusion. And so the Apostle Paul speaks into that. We looked at that last week in chapter 2. Now, as we look today... Uh, I want to offer this kind of a theme suggestion. Go on to the next slide. What do I do while living in the time between the times as I wait for Jesus' return? What do I do? How do I live? What does it mean to be a child of God in a setting that is in the time between the times? And that's what we live in every single day, isn't it? Of living between the times, between the time of Christ's first coming and his death, his resurrection and his ascension and his second coming. What's that look like? Well, they certainly had the immediacy perspective of Christ's return, and there's been a few years that have happened in the meantime, but we've got to know and understand as people of faith that Christ could come before I finish speaking the word of this sentence, or this sentence, right? It's God's plan, it's his purpose, it's his timing. But we need to know and understand that we have a sense of urgency that needs to come with who we are as people of faith. And to understand that there's a thing, then there's some attitude and stuff that we need to have within our lives of people of faith that uh, is in this time between the times. Now, I, I think there is in chapter three kind of three simple little things, and let's just see these. Uh, the first is, While you're living in this time between the times, it's real important for us to remember, it's not always about you, is it? It's about what God would have me do for others, too, and how I can be in prayer for other people, even as they're in prayer for me. And we'll kind of see that in the first part of the chapter. And the second part is this idea of be fully engaged. Be engaged in life as people of faith and bring who you are as followers of Christ into everything you do. Don't sit back, step forward, lean in to the things of faith. And then there are a few things that um, that I'm just going to call final thoughts that kind of wrap up the end of this particular chapter. If you're with me in in 2 Thessalonians, I want you to look right at the very end of chapter 2 because it moves us into the beginning of chapter 3. And look at verses 16 and 17. Paul is praying for them. Remember, he's just told them, stand firm in your faith, be firm in, in these things, and you hold on to all the things that we've taught you and that you believe. And then he says in 16 and 17, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement, and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul prays for them, prays for God's blessing, prays that they would bring an eternal perspective onto the things of their life and knowing and understanding this encouragement and strengthening and hope and grace that our God has for them. Then in chapter three, he says, now finally, brothers, pray for us. I just prayed for you, but pray for us and pray for us in a special way because I want the message of the Lord that it may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has faith. Pray for us. Pray for us. It's not just about somebody else's praying for you, but praying for the advancement of the message of Christ in the world but to pray in specific ways. And you see that beginning in verse two. He says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Just as you Thessalonians have been dealing with this persecution from evil and wicked men, so also am I asking you to pray for us as the proclaimers of the gospel, as those who are the apostles, the church planters. Paul says, pray for other people to be freed from evil and wicked men. One of the things I talked about a couple of weeks ago is that around the world, 80 nations today are engaged in horrific and serious persecution of Christians. It was in the news just not too long ago, and you probably, maybe you saw it or you heard about it, in North Korea, they put to death 80 people because they owned a Bible. They put 10,000 people in a stadium, and they made children and young families and adults watch As they tied people to posts, put bags over their heads, and then they shot them with machine guns, the report was it was so horrible that you could no longer recognize the people because they owned a Bible. We live in such environments of safety and freedom and who we are as people of God in this place that sometimes we forget about the evil and wickedness that's in our world where we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing firm in the midst of unbelievable persecution. So pray for them in this time between the times. Pray for them. Pray, as he goes on, verse three, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. For we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts in God's love and in Christ's perseverance. Direction to live faithfully. There's a great contrast there. Apostle Paul says, pray for those who are struggling. Pray for us as we struggle against evil because he says not everyone has faith. And then he contrasts that with the faithfulness of God who is always faithful the God who was always there, the God who was always the one who protects us. But the Lord is faithful, and don't forget that he will be the one who will strengthen you and protect you and care for you. What an incredible promise for us, isn't it? That as you and I live and bump up against the challenges of evil in our world, never forget that we have a God who is always faithful. You look with me at the next section into verse six there's a rather interesting way that he starts this passage. Look at the words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, pay attention. This is not a casual suggestion, right? When someone says, in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we command you, pay attention. Because this is a really clear word that he's wanting to make sure that we catch here. There is no doubt that this is something that we need to make sure we're embracing. Paul certainly, in speaking to the church in Thessalonica, what is going on? Well, let's just read on a little bit and you'll see the words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. You guys know lazy people? Not quite sure this is about lazy people. But it's about a circumstance going on in the, sake of the, in, in the circumstance of this church where there was some confusion among the believers of what, what is appropriate behavior and lifestyle for followers of Jesus Christ. Now there are some that suggest that what this problem is is that there were a group of people who kind of said, you know what, we're so convinced that Jesus is coming again. We're going to kick back, relax, settle in, and we're just going to wait on Him to come again. Uh, there, there have been groups like that around the, you know, the whole history of Christendom. There was a time in the in the 1800s in the United States in the Millerite movement, uh, where they actually sold everything they had, and they believed that it was uh, October was the 22nd, 1844, that that was the day Jesus was coming again, and they all gathered, and the date, of course, came and went. But they'd sold everything. They did nothing. They just laid back. Some suggest that this might be one of those kinds of things. But what others are really suggesting here, that as you look back into 1 Thessalonians, you see that Paul has already talked to them about these things when he was with them. There was apparently some who were misusing and abusing the relationships and opportunities that they had as followers of Christ, and they were just going to let other Christians take care of them. There's a section uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 2 on this Pentecost event. It says towards the end of that chapter, verses 42, 43, 44, uh, that they sold everything that they had. And they shared everything in common. And they gave to one another as they had need. There was this desire to be able to take care of those within the body of Christ who needed That kind of care. The idea might be here that what Paul's dealing with in Thessalonica is a group of believers who've actually sat back so far that they've said, you know what, we kind of like this. We don't do anything, those Christians will take care of us. If we don't do anything, our brothers and sisters in this fellowship, they'll provide the things for us. Now what this is for me, and I think it is for all of us, it's, it's really a stewardship issue. This is really a management of life. This is really about who we are and how we need to bring to play everything that God has given us for his purpose and for his kingdom. And he would say to us, if he given us the ability to work, to work. If he's given us the ability to serve, to serve. There's these wonderful references in Romans 12 and others that say those things to us. And yet there was a problem here to the point that there was even called by the apostle Paul to speak into their lives some correction and really in church discipline. There's this wonderful passage of scripture in Jeremiah 29 and, and many of you know the verses, I know the plans I have for you the plan. That's a cool verse, but it's the stuff that comes before it that's even better. Let me show you this. This is when the people of Israel while well, they're in they're in bondage and they're in Babylon And look what God says through Isaiah. He writes a letter from Jerusalem It gets delivered to Babylon with these instructions that say, during these 70 years that you're going to be in bondage here, don't sit back, but engage. Look at the words. This is cool stuff. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams, uh, do not listen to the dreams to encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them. declares the Lord. So I think there's some really neat parallels between here and Thessalonica. There were some false teachers, some diviners, some prophets that came and were trying to teach them wrong things. Paul says, "Ignore them. They're those evil people. don't pay attention to them. But what I want you to do, Thessalonians, what I want you to do, people at Concordia, is I want you to engage for the sake of the gospel and to be about the business of life in the place where I have placed you. Not what some of these Thessalonians were doing. We're sitting back and probably just letting the body take care of them. One of the great lines that's there is pray for this nation, into which you've been placed, because when they prosper, you prosper. That's one of the things that, from that passage, become real important to me, just in the sense of observing political environments within our world and within our nation. I'm always praying for the president, whoever he is, because I want him to succeed, because when he succeeds, we succeed. And when that happens, then the ability to to be engaged and to do even more for the sake of the gospel could actually come to us. Paul goes in in verse 11 and 12, and he says, We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. You guys know busybodies? Maybe it's the person next to you. I don't know. We have busy bodies in our lives, people that it's kind of this idea of rather than working hard, they're hardly working, they're just engaging in everybody else's stuff. And Paul's correcting it. He says, Such people, such people, we command and urge in the name, here he urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, knock it off. We engage you, we invite you to just engage in this. Do this willingly. He says, and as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him and do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is the idea of church discipline. We see other examples of it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where when that judgment, that correction of the church came to someone, the whole idea there was not to set them aside and kick them out. You understand, that's the purpose of church discipline, is not to kick someone out, but it's to bring someone to an awareness of what they're doing is wrong so that they might be reengaged and might know the grace, the mercy, and the hope of our Christ. The goal is always reconciliation. As the the book finishes, um, Paul kind of puts his stamp of approval on it because he says something rather unique. He says, uh, in in starters, and we'll, we'll pick up the first of these final thoughts, he says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Remember, this is a church, this is a city that's struggling with the things of their faith in light of the persecution they've received. And he's saying, I just pray God's peace over you. Do you know what the power of a blessing is? There's such power in a blessing. There's such power of someone praying peace over you. And when you're struggling, when you're in circumstances that are feeling overwhelming to you, for someone to speak peace over you, that they would know that you would know this peace of God despite your circumstances, that's an important thing because it enables us then to rest in the confidence that we have a God who's on our side. We have a God who is with us. We have a God who takes us through the things of our lives. Learn to do that when someone's struggling. Learn to do that when maybe someone's really overwhelmed in a class. Learn to do that when there's a relational problem that someone else is having. Speak peace over them. Pray over them that they would know God's peace and be able to rest in him even as those circumstances continue to revolve around them. The very end of this book is uh, kind of a neat thing because Paul comes in verse 17 and he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. This uh, last little sentence here, these are my words. I'm writing these. Now, we know these are Paul, the Holy Spirit, working through Paul to put these words of these letters, these epistles down but uh, what's believed is that Paul used a, a kind of a scribe, someone that would write down for him those things that the Holy Spirit had given him to say. Amanuensis is what that person's called. Very, not uncommon in that time, but someone who would write that down. But Paul wanted you to know at the end, and sometimes he'd even say, look how big my letters are as I write them. And some would say, well, why was that? Some put it all the way back into Acts chapter uh, 9 where there's that reference where the Apostle Paul, and here it is, uh, and he's Saul, right? He's just coming to faith, and uh, he gets blinded. And and when he's had Christ shared with him, when that happens, uh, something like scales falls off of Saul's eyes. And some believe that maybe he had a problem, maybe as a result of that, with his eyes. Later on in 2 Corinthians, you see these verses... The great line where Paul says, he says, you know, I pleaded with the Lord to take this problem away from me. Three times, matter of fact. And what God said instead was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I don't know for sure. But maybe Paul had a problem with his eyes. Maybe that's why he wrote large letters at the end. Maybe that's why he had to have someone help write down for him what the Holy Spirit had given him. But whatever it is, it was that attempt for Paul to say, this is me, loving you, caring about you as the church that I helped found, and for that sake, to make sure that the hope of Christ is embedded in you, despite your circumstances, despite your, your challenges, so that you would always know you have a God who loves you and is with you always, that you got a Savior who's going to come again. And in the meantime, Engage. Don't step back. Step forward. Live your life for Christ. Be fully engaged in the world and in where it, which you live, but be God's people in it for the sake of what it means for the expansion of his kingdom. Thanks for letting me be with you for these weeks. Uh, I hope something was a benefit and a blessing to you along the way and uh, a chance for us to do a little digging in the word of God and uh, to look at a, a book that... Maybe we don't spend quite as much time thinking about or looking at, but something unique like this in 2 Thessalonians. So Chris can lead us in a song as we finish up, and then uh, Pastor Anderson's going to have a quick announcement right after.